0: All right, Hebrews, the better letter. This is the twelfth week in our study. Uh, Next week we're going to be having a period of singing and praise to God uh, during the week of Thanksgiving. So we're going to wrap up the book of Hebrews tonight in chapter 13. But last week, if you were not able to be with us or you need a little bit of a refresher, remember we talked about Jesus inspiring within us. Within his followers, a better discipline, a better discipline for the Christian. And that was last week when we discussed chapter 12, which also began the third section of the book of Hebrews. If you'll remember, the first section is talking about all the Old Testament heroes that Jesus is better than, the second section is talking about all the Old Testament theology that Jesus has installed, instituted something better in chapters 8 through 10. And then the third section starts in chapter 12 with his closing comments in chapter 12 and 13. And so last week the writer challenged them and he challenged us to have discipline. Discipline is the glue, like we said, that holds our faith and our works together. It is the mortar between the bricks of faith and obedience we talked about last week. Uh, Without discipline, obedience will not act as a result of our faith. So every single one of these individuals we find in chapter 11, the great hall of faith, the the chapter of faith, every single one of them had discipline that tied their faith and their obedience together. And that is how they were found pleasing to God, and that's how we are found pleasing to God. To God. It's when our faith works together with our obedience in tandem with our discipline. The closing comments, like we said, began in the first few verses of chapter 12. You remember the writer finally gives us the purpose passage, perhaps, of the entire book in the first couple of verses of chapter 12 when he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The purpose of this whole book is for us to look Unto Jesus. In the first section of the Old Testament heroes, we looked unto Jesus. In the second section, with the Old Testament theology, we looked unto Jesus. And all the way throughout the end, we're going to continue to be looking unto Jesus. Jesus being this ultimate example we talked about last week of discipline. The ultimate example of faith and obedience being tied together with discipline because... He endured the cross. He despised the shame, and He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we look to Him, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we will have the discipline to finish this race that has been set before us, and not only finish it, but finish it with endurance. Tonight, the writer's closing remarks continue in chapter 13 of our book of Hebrews. We're going to have the overall thought tonight that Jesus gives us a better life. Jesus gives us a better life in chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews. The writer is going to challenge his audience to let their faith, their obedience, and their discipline launch them into a better, practical, everyday life. An everyday life That is indeed better. You know, being a Christian requires a daily mindset, doesn't it? It's not enough to be a Christian some days and some days not to take off the weekend and maybe take a vacation from Christianity. It doesn't work like that. Christianity requires and expects from us a daily attitude, a daily mindset, a way of life. In this way of life, this mindset and this attitude is something that the world does not have because they do not have Christ. You know, this chapter of our study tonight is really the step that takes it further than just talking about faith in chapter 11 and talking about obedience in chapter 11 and talking about discipline in chapter 12. This chapter is going to go from talking about it to wanting us and calling us to putting those three things into action. To put those things into action and into practice, that's what chapter 13 is all about. You know, chapter 13, our chapter tonight, is truly an example of the old preacher that says, I got a couple more things I got to say. And then there's three, there's four, there's five, there's six, there's seven, and the list goes on and on. There's more and more things that he wants to get said before it's over with. That's exactly what I think is happening in chapter 13. He's saying, and one more thing, and, and we're, we're almost there, I promise, I, I'm almost there. Yeah, And chapter 13 just does that as he's trying to wrap all of these thoughts that he has, these final admonitions into these final verses. And just like he has done throughout the whole book, he's going to challenge them one more time. One last challenge, one last time throughout this book. He's going to once again try to convict those Hebrew Christians that they made the right choice in becoming a Christian. He's going to once again convince those Jews who had not yet become Christians that they needed to do so one more time. And this time he's going to do that by showing that there is no better daily life than the life that is found in Jesus Christ. And he's going to give the practical daily advice that they need to know in order to have this better life through Jesus. This, book, this, this chapter of the book is a lot like the book of James studied that in our roundtable study a few months ago, and it was so practical to our daily life and our living. This last chapter is just like that. One verse, one thought after the other. Here's how you're going to have a better practical life. With that, we're ready to get into the text itself in verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. First thing he says in this section is, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love was an aspect of their life. That's why he says it needs to continue. This idea of brotherly love, how do we show our brotherly love? Well, he tells them two examples at least of how to show brotherly love. How do we show this brotherly love? Well, number one, it says we need to be hospitable. Where do you get that out of that? Well, you know, it says do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly Entertained angels. You know, a lot, of, a lot has been made about this verse, hasn't it? A lot has been made and a lot has been said about this verse. And, oh, are we entertaining angels every day of our life? Is there angels walking around among us? And, you know, angels in the outfield. You know, great movie. 90s kids, where are you at? Not in here. Um, but anyway, are we entertaining Angels. Well, I believe what he's doing is he's giving a reference to them. Hey, you remember Abraham who unwittingly entertained angels back in Genesis chapter 18, in verses 1 through 8 and following, with the whole Sodom and Gomorrah story? He entertained angels. He didn't know who they were. They were strangers to him, and he showed them hospitality. What did it wound up doing? It wound up putting them in a really good place, didn't it? Because he was hospitable. And I believe he's telling them, listen, we have to have that same type of hospitality to everyone that we come across. This same hospitality of Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of the faithful, has to be shown to everyone. This hospitality has to be shown whether it's convenient, whether they look like you do or they think like you do, you still must be hospitable to them. Even if they disagree with you, even if you don't, they're not a part of the body of Christ, even if they are a part of the body of Christ and you don't really like them that much, guess what? You better be hospitable to them. And in doing so, if we are hospitable, we are going to let brotherly love continue. You know, Matthew 25 tells us exactly what Jesus thought about hospitality, does it not? I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was sick in prison, you did not visit me. I was hungry and thirsty, you did not clothe me. What does he say to those people who are not hospitable? I never knew you. So if we want to know Jesus and for him to know us, we're going to have to let brotherly love continue and the first thing that he tells us to do that in order to accomplish that feat is for us to be hospitable. Christians are supposed to be a hospitable people, a welcoming people. We've talked about that a lot lately in our different studies. But in doing so, when we show hospitality to the world, to our community, we are showing the ultimate defining principle, the defining aspect of what a Christian is supposed to be. Love. Brotherly love. The first thing we got to do is be hospitable. The second thing that he tells them to do is to remember those who are in prison for the cause of Christ. Remember those who are in prison for the cause of Christ. He says in the passage, he says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you are yourselves are in the body also. So he says that we must remember those who are in prison for the cause of Christ. If we are to forget about, to forget thinking about, praying about, and lifting up those who have been persecuted for the cause of Christ, we've forgotten a great part of our body. You know, the church is the body. It is the body of Christ. Though we are many members, we all come together to be the one body of Christ. And so when one of our body, one of the members of the body is hurting, we must think about them, we must pray about them, we must encourage them in every way that we possibly can. And that's the second part of how we should let brotherly love continue according to this passage. There's a lot more, but this is what he's telling them. When you do this, when you are hospitable... And when you remember those that are a part of the body, that are struggling, that are hurting, that need your encouragement, when you do that, you're letting brotherly love continue. And in doing so, again, you are showing this defining principle of what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. Now what's this verses 4 and 5 business? Let's reread those together. This Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And he gives us a couple Old Testament quotations later. You know, verses 4 and 5, they seem so disconnected from one another, don't they? It just seems like we said, a list after a list, and a thought after thought, and there's no connection between these two thoughts, well, I think that's wrong. I think there is a connection between verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 lays this foundation of marriage is honorable. Marriage is undefiled. It lays the foundation of anybody who would seek to make it defiled and anybody who would seek to make it dishonorable is a fornicator or an adulterer. And those people... There's something in common with all of those people. Well, what is that? Verse 5. They're covetous. Covetousness is wanting something, desiring something to the point that you have to have it. Not only do you have to have it, you take it. Even though you don't need it, even though you shouldn't have it, you take it anyway. That's covetousness. What is the difference when it comes to sexual ethics? When you fornicate, you want someone you shouldn't have. When you commit adultery, you take advantage of someone or some situation you should not take advantage of. And in doing so, you are being covetousness. You you, you are showing covetousness in your life. You're You're no longer content with the things that you have. It says, be content with such things as you have. And when you are fornicating or committing adultery, you are no longer content with such things that you have. You're not satisfied. And when this happens, you're not going to honor your marriage. Your marriage is then going to be defiled. And you will practice fornication or adultery. And that's what's going to follow. Therefore, it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Keep marriage honorable and undefiled in a sacred institution. It's what he's saying. Well, why should we be content with such things as we have? Because he says two reasons. Number one, in this first quotation, God will never leave you. You know, you need to be content in this life because God is never going to leave you. Number two, God is your helper so that we might say, the Lord is my helper. We should be content in this life for these two reasons. Because we have God and He's never going to leave us. And because the God, the Almighty God, is our helper. The text continues in verses 7-9. through 9. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. Considering the outcome of their conduct, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. Not with food, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. This is the first of three times the writer mentions this idea of those who rule over you in this one chapter. Let's look at them real quickly. Look at verse 7. It says, we just read it, Remember those who rule over you. Why? Well, because they spoke the word of God to you. They give you an example of whose faith you should follow. And when you consider the outcome of their conduct, it's going to be rewarded in heaven. Who are the people that rule over you? You know, if you are sitting here tonight or you're on uh, your computer at home and you're starting to think, nobody rules over me, nobody's in charge of me, I'm not going to do what anybody tells me to do because I'm my own person. I'm an American. I've been given that right. I've been endowed with blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know the thing. Yeah, right. right. We've heard that lately. If you're sitting in here tonight and you think, nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's not what Hebrews 13 is talking about, is it? Remember those who rule over you. You're not convinced? Let's continue. Verse 17. What does it tell us to do? To obey those who rule over us. We're to obey those who rule over us. Boy, I don't like that word. I don't like obey those who rule over me. I'll remember them all day long, verse 7. I'll I'll think about them, I'll remember them, but I'm not going to obey nobody. Do we have people who think that way? Well, there's another one, if that's not enough for you. Verse 24, greet all those who rule over you. Now some of these are a lot easier than the others, aren't they? It's easier to greet, it's easier to remember than it is to obey. But all three of them together, in one chapter, in a few short verses, in a few short thoughts, the writer of Hebrews in his closing comments, his last things he ever had to say to his audience, three times he tells them to think about, remember, obey, and greet All those who rule over you. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the elders. We're talking about the elders of the church. Why? Because they shepherd over your soul. We're going to get to this in a minute, but look at verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for, what would, for that would be unprofitable for you. When we do not obey the elders, the shepherds who rule over us, we're not profiting ourselves. We think we are. But they know what is best for our souls. Why? Because they're the ones that have to take account for your soul. You know why the number one qualification of what it takes to be an elder discounts and totally rules out most of men everywhere? You know what the first qualification is? you got to desire it. you got to desire this, this position in the Lord's church. If you're going to be a shepherd, if you're going to be over a group of people, you got to desire that position. You know, when it comes to me right now, in my life right now, I don't desire this position. Number one, I don't have kids, so I can't have this position. But number two, I don't desire it. Why? Because I don't want to be in charge of other people's souls. I don't want to be in charge or have to take an account for anyone else's soul but mine. I have a hard enough time with my own soul than to be in charge or to take account for someone else's. And there's so many times that we have to deal with individuals who do not let the elders or the shepherds lead without grief. They're supposed to lead with joy. And when we, let, we make them lead with grief, we're simply being unprofitable for ourselves. Now we've jumped ahead way too far into our study, but those all go together. Those who rule over you, verse 7, verse 17, and verse 24. We're supposed to do this because they speak the word of God to us. They give an example of faith to be followed. They watch out for our souls. They give account for our soul. And our text in verses 7 through 9 continues by talking about, Do not be carried away by strange doctrines. Paul warned them in uh, 2 Timothy that there were come times where people would just want to have their ears scratched. They had itching ears. And so they would listen to all these false teachers. Well, the writer of Hebrews is telling them, Listen, if you're going to be in the body of Christ, you cannot be carried away by strange doctrines. You cannot allow some smooth-talking-sounding, smart-sounding person lead you away with some new fantastic doctrine or idea. Why? Verse 8, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, this idea is a stabilizing, foundational, and constant truth that we can cling to when it comes to Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no more foundational thing that we can cling to than this phrase here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, And forever, no matter what is going on, regardless of what's happening around us, if people leave us, if people mistreat us, if life gets turned upside down, guess who's the same? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same no matter what changes in our life. The text continues in verses 10 through 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he offers this ultimate altar of his own sacrifice. His own sacrifice is the ultimate altar for which we can go to It gives us this idea from the Old Testament about how the priest would take the animals outside the camp and burn them completely. You want to look at that? Look at Leviticus 16 and verse 27. Leviticus 16 and verse 27, it says, The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, And they shall burn in the fire their sins, their flesh, and their offal. They took the sacrifice outside of the camp. And they burned it there. And he says the same way that these animals, these bulls and goats, and we've talked a lot about sacrifice, haven't we, throughout the book of Hebrews, But one last time, he's telling us about the sacrifice of Jesus. He's making one more correlation. Guess who else was taken outside the camp? Guess who else was taken beyond the city walls to be put on the altar? Not to be burned, but to be sacrificed. Well, that would be Jesus. Jesus was put outside the gate. When he went to Golgotha, he had to leave the city of Jerusalem. And he was sacrificed outside the gate the same way all of those bulls and goats had to be burned outside of the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And since He did that, since He sanctified us within His own blood, since He suffered outside the gate, we're supposed to do something about it. It says, therefore let us go forth to Him outside the camp bearing His reproach. Since we have been sanctified, Since we have a sacrifice of the cross, Christians have to go forth to Jesus. We have to go spiritually to the place of the skull, Golgotha, and we must bear his reproach, the cross. Jesus would say in Matthew 16 and verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16 and verse 24. You know, this is a call for them to keep the altar or the cross of Jesus at the forefront of their minds. You must go outside of the camp and suffer with Jesus too if you're going to be a Christian. You must spiritually go out, go forth towards the altar of Christ and go to the cross of Christ. That's what a part of the daily life of a Christian is, is it not? To keep the cross of Christ at the forefront of our minds. And never forget the great sacrifice that was found there. The text continues, the next few verses. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But we do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He starts out this passage, we have no continuing city. This goes along with what he's talking about Jerusalem. Since Jesus was sacrificed and led outside of the camp, we don't have a city anymore. We don't have Jerusalem anymore. We're not looking towards Jerusalem. We're not looking towards a specific place on earth. We don't have a continuing city in which to look forward to and to continually long for. We don't look towards Jerusalem We seek the city that has been prepared for us in heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about heaven, the place where chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the city that we look towards. That's the city that is left for us. And if we're going to reach this city, this place that is prepared for us, then we're going to have to continually offer the praise of our lips to God, the verse says. So that we can offer the praise of our lips to God. We're going to have to give thanks to His name, the verse says. We're going to have to do good, we're going to have to share. What an elementary school lesson that is, isn't it? Do good and share. Do good and share. And that is how we know that God is going to be pleased with us, it says. Until that time, until the time that we reach that city, we need to obey those who rule over us. We need to submit to their leadership. In a way that doesn't cause them grief, causes them joy. It makes no sense to give the elders or the shepherds grief. To make them constantly worried about your soul. Wondering if you're getting fed spiritually because they haven't seen you in months. It makes no sense to make them rule with grief. Because it simply is unprofitable for you. Instead, we need to submit and obey and let them shepherd the flock with joy. The text continues and concludes in the last few verses of chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Classic preacher, I have written to you in a few words, he says. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. You know, the same way we have earthly shepherds that he's talked about in verse 7, verse 17, he's going to talk about this passage in verse 24, the same way we have these earthly shepherds. Who else is our shepherd? Jesus, the great shepherd, it says. The same way they had a priest and they called and the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the great high priest, we have shepherds and a great shepherd. And this great shepherd has given us what, according to this passage? He's given us the blood of the everlasting covenant. He's given us the ability to complete every good work. He's given us the ability to be found pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ who deserves all the glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. With that, guess what we've just done? We have read every single word in the book of Hebrews this quarter. What an accomplishment. We've studied every single word about this book. But now, tonight, for our purposes of this chapter, how does... let me try to... next slide. Yeah. How does this show how Jesus gives us a better life? You know, it seems like we've just been weaving in and out of a bunch of different topics, a bunch of different things, and all disconnected like we were talking about earlier. What is he doing in this chapter? Well, again, he's trying to get all these last final thoughts, these last challenges together. But if we zoom out and not look at it verse by verse, I think we can see... Exactly how this chapter shows us how Jesus gives us a better life. Exactly what the message of this chapter has been trying to show. That we've been given a better life in Jesus Christ. If we are in Jesus Christ, verse 1, it says that we get to experience brotherly love. If we are in Jesus Christ, verse 2, it says, we get to experience hospitality. We're not around a bunch of mean folks anymore. We're around hospitable people if we are in Christ. Verse 3, it says, we get to experience kindness and care and concern from the body of Christ. People care about you. They care about if you're struggling. They care about if you've lost a loved one. They care if you are... In persecution. They think about you. They pray about you. They encourage you. That's only if you're in Christ. Verse 4. If you're in Christ, you get to have an honorable marriage. A marriage that's not defiled. A marriage that is honorable. You know, so many of those that are without Christ don't have that. They don't have the ultimate happiness that is found with an honorable marriage. But if you're in Christ and you're following the principles of Christ and the words of Christ and the pattern Christ revealed about marriage, you're going to have an honorable marriage. Verse 5, if you are in Christ, you're going to be content with what you have. How many people in this life are not content with their possessions? Are not content with the life that they've been given? They simply want to climb up the ladder, climb up the ladder, and if I'm not climbing up the ladder, then I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I haven't been given enough. But if you're in Christ, you can find contentment. And as Paul said, with contentment there is great gain. There's great joy with contentment. Verse 6, look at it. He says, He says, if you are in Christ, if you have Christ, if you have Jesus in your life, God is your helper. God, the creator of all, is your helper. Verse 7, if you're in Christ, you have leaders to follow. You have examples that you can follow in this life. Those who rule over you are your example to follow. That's a lot of pressure on them, but that's what the text says. You have examples to follow and and examples to show you how to live this life. Verse 9. If you're in Christ, you have a doctrine that establishes your heart through grace, it says. You don't have to worry about all these passing doctrines and all these prosperity gospel that's coming up with something new every day you got the changeless Christ you have the changeless doctrine but at the same time that doctrine that word chapter 4 verse 12 is living it's active it's sharper than any two-edged sword it pierces into the soul into the marrow and the joints and the spirit it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart if you're a Christian you have that doctrine And that doctrine is only through Jesus Christ, who is the Word. Verse 10, we have an altar. Verse verse 12, we have Jesus' blood that sanctifies us. Verse 13, we're supposed to go toward that altar. We're supposed to go to the altar of the cross. To spiritually go to the cross when we have sin and lay it down at the cross. We've been given that as Christians. Verse 14, we have a city, a place prepared for us. Verse 15, we get to offer praise to God, the fruit of our lips. We get to give thanks. Verse 16, we get to do good, we get to share. Verse 17, we have shepherds who help us, who are concerned about us, who, are, who give us a, prof- a profitable life. I don't know about you but I've never seen a better life than what's been described on that screen. There is no better life than what we find in Hebrews chapter 13 in the book of Hebrews as a whole. I've never heard of anyone that's come up with anything better than that. You know why? There isn't. There is nothing better than the life found in Christ. With that, we have one final application. One final thought from our study, Hebrews, the better letter. In our study thus far, we've learned that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better, he gives a better rest than Joshua. He's better than the Levitical high priesthood. He gives us a better hope. He gives us a covenant that's better than the old covenant. He gives us a sanctuary that is better than the old sanctuary. He gives us a sacrifice that is better than the old sacrifice. He inspires within us a better faith. He inspires within us a better discipline. And lastly, He gives us a better life. Jesus is better than all of these examples and all these things and all the different topics we've discussed this this quarter because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no one better coming. There is no one better who has come before. There is no one better tonight. In Jesus Christ. The first night of the class I told you I wanted to teach the book of Hebrews for three main reasons. Number one, I thought it was going to be a study that personally challenged me and personally challenged the audience. Number two, I thought it was going to allow us to see how powerful our God is, how in control He is of this world, regardless of how chaotic our life may be around us. And number three, I thought it was going to make us realize how amazing it is to be a Christian. I told you that the first night. It has been definitely a challenging study for me. I hope it has been for you. It has definitely allowed me to see how powerful God is. how He is in control of my life, regardless of how chaotic my life gets. I hope you feel the same way. It has definitely made me realize how amazing it is to be a Christian. And I hope that it's done the same for you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I look forward to that city that is to come. I hope the study has convinced anyone listening, whether it be here or online or all around, I hope it has convinced anyone listening that becoming a Christian and a follower of Christ is worth every second. There is no reason, no excuse, no cause, no factor, no thing that should stop you or I from becoming a disciple of Christ. Nothing should stop you. I hope this study has convicted anyone who is already a Christian that, hey, you made the right choice. Becoming a Christian was the greatest decision you ever made. And through our study of Hebrews, you have found that there is no better life than a life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end this study with the way we began it. All the way back in Hebrews chapter 1. You'll go there with me. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thank God that he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Through the book of Hebrews, through the gospel, through the New Testament, thank God that we have been given His Son. That we have seen His Son throughout this study. Thank God that He has appointed Jesus heir of all things. That through Jesus He made the world's that we are able to witness the brightness of His glory, the image of His person, that Jesus is the one who upholds all things by the word of His power, that He has purged us of our sins, that He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of the better covenant, the better sanctuary, and the better sacrifice, We can have a better faith, a better obedience, a better discipline. And definitely, we can have a better life. Hebrews truly is the better letter. I want to thank everyone for coming each week and being a part of this study and the encouragement you've given me throughout the study. Uh, It's been very encouraging, been very challenging. Uh, to make all of these thoughts come together and all make sense. I hope it's made sense to you. And I hope that you're forever impacted by our study of Hebrews this quarter uh, because it is truly one of the greatest writings that we have in all the Bible. Taking all those different thoughts from all those different dispensations and showing us how Jesus Christ is better. Thank you so much. I want to close with a word of prayer led by our brother Kurt.